0: He's Julio, Executive Director of AW New York and Global Partnerships here at Advertising Week,
1: and I'm Ruth Mortimer, Global President at Advertising Week.
0: You're listening to the Future Is Female podcast from Advertising Week in partnership with LinkedIn.
1: Each week on the Future Is Female podcast, we'll be speaking to female leaders from across the industry.
0: These exceptional leaders, fearless visionaries and trailblazing executives will share their stories and offer advice to all women in the workplace, regardless of seniority.
1: Thank you for joining us and please consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon or your podcast platform of choice. Today, I'll be talking to Jerry and Yanwu, client director at Global, and also the winner of an Advertising Week Future Female award. All about her agenda-setting career, where she juggles a full-time role with entrepreneurship. Hey, Jerry! Welcome to the Future Is Female podcast. Great to have you with us. Thank you so much. I'm
2: thrilled and delighted to uh,
1: yeah be chatting to you. Perfect. Well, look, this is all about you. So I want to start off by asking you all about yourself. Tell us a little bit about your career. You're a woman who I think has many roles. So tell us a bit about that. (laughs) Um, So I
2: describe myself as multi-passionate. And you're right, I do. I wear many, many hats. Um, So my career, I've been in the industry for over 30 years. I've always worked media owner side. And currently, I work as a client director at Global Media in London, particularly across the um, FMCG and telco clients. Um, And I have loved my career, it's been amazing. Um, But I think five years ago, I really started to lean into who I was as a woman, as a black woman, what gave me joy. And through all of that, Developed the uncommon collective. And actually, the story, I'm going to just interject with a quick story around that. So, I was at a party and a friend of mine said to me, Oh my God, you're so successful. And I did that thing, like typically English thing, where you're like, Who me? No, you can't be talking about me. And she's like, oh My God, you're so. And I was like, What do you mean? She's like, You're an amazing mum. You know, you've had this amazing long career for over 25 years. And for the first time in my life, and at that point, I was plus 40. um I saw someone, someone shone the mirror back at me and I saw myself through their eyes. And that completely changed my my outlook on my career. And I suddenly thought, oh my God, I am successful. My success was always judged by standards that weren't really set by me or set by people that look like me. And yeah, I mean, the minute she said that, I just suddenly was like, oh my God, this concrete ceiling that I've been trying to break for years and was failing at miserably, I was like, I am successful. And so that completely changed everything. And then I started thinking, okay, what is it that I'm What gives me joy? And then I recognised it was sort of leaning into L&D, seeing members of my team develop. And that really started me on the journey of like discovering what actually made me happy. And um, I've said to everyone, I realised that if I turn, if I me now could turn up and see and go back in time to see the 13-year-old me, I would hands down be the next Michelle Obama. Hands down. <laughs> and that doesn't mean to I mean don't mean to sound big-headed. It's just that there was no one that like that was like me that turned up in my school to inspire me. And really that's where the birth of the Uncommon Collective came from. My need my desire to be more purpose-led and impactful in my life. And now I'm a governor of my son's school, leading the DNI work stream. I run a social enterprise called the Uncommon Collective. Which has been created to support young black and brown talent and increase their social mobility. And most recently, I worked with and co-founded the uh, initiative called Join Our Table, which is about supporting
1: and amplifying black female talent. And I have a job, and I'm a mum. I mean, you are doing so many things; it's it's untrue and unreal. Um, and I think I think it's a really interesting point about how we never believe in our own success until somebody else shows you their perspective but why did you decide to mix kind of entrepreneurial talents? Like presumably you could have done more in your day job, but global, why was it that these entrepreneurial pursuits really interested you? Do you know, I look back
2: at that and I think I'd had some coaching and after 20 years in the same industry, I was feeling really unfulfilled and I couldn't quite work out and I knew it wasn't coming from work. I was like, I'm good at my job, but it's not fulfilling me. And I couldn't work out why. And actually a coach said to me, you have to decide whether your job is just going to be your job or, or you're going to get your joy from outside and from external things. And I think that was the point for me. And that's really what developed my entrepreneurial spirit. I was like, actually, I'm really happy in my career, but this isn't a thing that's going to give me joy. And that doesn't mean that I'm not very good at my job, but it wasn't hitting it as it as it, it had when I first started. And so I started to look at externally And actually it has led back into stuff that I do, but I started to get more involved in things externally. I started to invest in myself and that's where this kind of entrepreneurial area came from because I I couldn't find my joy in in my job anymore, but I knew that if I looked elsewhere, there was other things that I was leaning into externally from work that I could find joy in. And then it became about how I grew those things and actually what's been beautiful is that I've been able to take the stuff that was external and now bring it into my job. So for example, I also am the co-founder of the Families Network within. So I've brought in a lot of the DNI stuff that I now do outside of work, has now come back into my job. So it's
1: a win-win all around. Well, that's a good point about it being a win-win because lots of women I speak to, they're worried if they've got a full-time job, they're worried to say to their employer, hey, I need something else. I wanna do something else as well. What advice would you give them about how can you position that to your employer that makes them think yeah this is a win win?
2: Oh, that's a good one. Honestly, I think I almost think I would say position it to them as look there's there's a there's a business case as to why this could work for you. This is about personal development. This is about my learning and development. And I think that's the thing, the reasons I do the things I do, because actually I'm really invested in my own personal development, me investing my personal development makes me a better employer in my job. So I think that's how you position it is that look, there, here's a, you know, here is an L and D strategy for you that allows me to develop in ways that will totally come back and benefit the company. However, I did that and didn't necessarily get the response that I'd initially hoped for at that time and so I went ahead and did it anyway and I found a way to merge the two because I was like look this is going to happen like this is what I'm interested in doing I know it will make me a better mother a salesperson director all of that and the company were a bit like I tried to get them to do it within the company and they were like there's not the funding there's not this so I was like, okay well that's fine but I'm going to look for it elsewhere and I think the fact is They've reaped the rewards either way because I've gone ahead and I've done it. I've been true to myself. It has benefited me, you know, as a better employee that I've now been able to bring that into the company. So advice is ask for permission. But if you don't get it, go ahead and do it anyway.
1: Yeah, I think that's great advice. And I think the thing is as well, like you say, companies don't always have the ability at that moment in time to give you what you want. And it's a great way of keeping an employee who might otherwise you might have looked somewhere else or thought, I want to get a different job, but instead this gave you a way to fulfill yourself, which is amazing. But thinking thinking of that sort of fulfillment, one of the things I often think about women is that when we talk about success, we define it too narrowly and we define it maybe a bit by what men have seen as success I remember I had this conversation with actually a female headhunter and she was complaining that too many men these days wanted to kind of have jobs that gave them time with their families. And she was positioning this to me as like, they've gone soft. What weirdos? Why, you know, why are they not the hard guys who want to give up everything for this career? And she was like, you know, they're kind of and she saw that as a negative, whereas I was actually thinking How great that you have this new kind of generation of men who think, actually, I want a job that fits into my life. Do you think we define what success looks like too narrowly, particularly for women?
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I I think anyone listening to this, you can't see me nodding my head like a dog to everything you were saying. But I think we do. I think as women, you know, Our success is look, let's face it, we live in a society that is governed by lots of institutions that is still governed by patriarchy. And that actually, I think it's really important to recognise the patriarchy has an effect not only on women, but on men like Generation Z and millennial men are really struggling to understand how they now operate in this patriarchal society that our forefathers, our grandparents delivered down to us. What does it look like to be a man in, in the modern world? Who wants to lean into being a parent? Who wants to work hybrid hours? So as women, our our ideas of success are very much built on institutions and structures that we hadn't, you know, we didn't generate. And we struggle to work out because those kind of ladders are so high, we are struggling to achieve them. We're struggling, you know, and and, and our markers of success aren't really based on our core values. And I think, That's something I would really say is that a lot of the work that I've done over the last year has really been based on me understanding what my values are, how those values about who I am as a person show up. My career now is really about my values. It's moved. And I think to your point, when you talked about, you know, personal development, let's face it, in this current climate, you're not always going to get a financial increase in revenue. And that's tough. And sometimes that's what you need. But if it isn't, there are other ways that you can develop yourself. And so I think thinking about your values and judging your success around your own pa- personal values, what does success look like for me? Not what does it look like for, you know Richard Smith, who's fifty five years old and been in the industry and is you know aiming to be a CEO, but actually, what does it look like for me? How do my values show up in my success? And I think that's what I've been trying to do. And also, I have to say, you know as an intersectional woman and across any intersections, You know, we know what the institution... So, again, my measurements of success throughout my career have often been measured against some of my white female counterparts who've been able to access doors far quicker than I have. I can only... And it'll save that for another podcast, the sort of trauma that has left on me because I constantly felt I was failing all the time. I couldn't get past certain blockers. And I was like, well, how is it other girls, other women that started when I did, were suddenly... Lying. and I and I wasn't. I just it. I took it so personally. It created a lot of trauma within me. So yeah, I think our our success measures are really narrow. But what is changing, and you you can see it. And what I love about millennials and Gen Z is they are pushing over those boundaries, and their and their success measures are actually a lot wider than you know some of the boomer generation. It's very much about well, no, I'm going to define what success looks like for me. It isn't structured in this way. I'm going to structure it. I'm going to create my own success. And that is really empowering for me as a 40 plus year old woman, let alone for those coming up after them.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And I think and I hope she'll forgive me for saying this. I saw a great talk actually by Wendy Clark when she was at Dentsu. Um, And she was talking about how as a woman kind of who is more senior in her career, she had younger women coming up to her and asking her, what should I do to kind of get the next step up the ladder? And she was like, well, you have to do what I did. You have to move country. You have to take this role. It means sacrifices. And they were like, no, 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 thanks. Um, I won't be doing that. So what's the other way? And she was like, what do you mean? This is the way. And then she started thinking, hold on. Why do you have to do what I did? I didn't want to have to do it that way. She was like, I only think like that because I believed that was the only way. Mm. It wasn't actually my choice to do it that way. And she suddenly said it turned around her whole thinking about how she approached it. And she was like, no, great. You don't want to do it that way. What's your way you're going to do it? And it, she said it sort of released her from a way of thinking that she felt she'd had her whole career about who you were. So let's talk about, you said, save it for another podcast, but we're here. Let's talk about it now. Tell me about some of those big challenges, because saying that it led to trauma, the way people treated you and the lack of kind of opportunities you had compared to white counterparts. Talk to me a little about that.
2: Oh, God. For most of my career, I have remained pretty invisible and it... I mean, the, the reason I say it's enough is time for enough class because it, it stems from lots of things outside of my professional career. But when I came into the industry, um, I was for most of my early years, I was, you know, in a minority as one of two black women, certainly only one very dark skinned black woman. And I just never felt that I'm necessarily kind of got the same sort of levels of respect. I always felt that I was my job my work was being judged slightly differently um and and it was weird that the respect i was given was almost like when it was and this is actually true you know when it was time to do the cool things have the like all the social the social events suddenly it was like jerry get involved like you can make this happen so i became like known as like the fun kid but actually you know when it was about my career and my development and and what does that look like for me Nobody wanted to have those conversations with me. I was sort of getting overlooked. It wasn't, and I, my sense of who I was was constantly felt like it was being stripped away. I was a bit like, and I was somebody that would say was really confident, but I felt very unseen in places. Um, And, you know, again, these things, we've moved away from this time, but, you know, less even about race and more about even being a woman. So, you know, back then when I started my career, it was, you know, golfing, trips for the boys was where deals were being you know there's just spaces that I wasn't allowed to access and that was all the time so whether I was a woman and I was a young woman in the industry I was not unable to access these spaces or I was you know and again society was very different the media profession was very different it was very like drinks based you know go out to China White's back in the day or you know some of these Titanic these clubs that opened and um, all the senior lads would be buying drinks and you'd feel very intimidated that you had to kind of keep up. And I have to say, I actually remember a time where, um, and I'm gonna say this, like there was a point where some of the um strip clubs in London, there was a time when for only eyes opened and a few others, and that was going through expenses. And I was a young girl and I was a bit like, what do I do here? Like my clients have been taken here, my boss is going, do I go, do I not go? I feel really uncomfortable, but nobody cares about my discomfort because it's like, come on, get, you know. So it's just constant. There's a constant stripping away of, I don't know my place in this world. I don't feel comfortable with my place in this world. I've had it times later on in my career where, um, you're just overlooked. you just overlooked in conversation. People don't, weren't valuing my opinion in rooms where I thought that I was, you know, at a decent level to be heard. And people were talking over me, or even down to some similar things. Where, you know, as a black woman, one of our superpowers we get to do is that we get to change our hair all the time. And I came in one day with a different hairstyle. Bearing in mind, I sat in the same place for at least five years. And I remember walking in and like pretty much fifty percent in the office was like, "Who's the new girl?" Like, and I couldn't believe that people actually were saying that I, you know, they couldn't recognize me. Was, they were like who's this new girl and and it was like
1: (laughs) what's wrong with them jerry how did they not know your
2: face i sat in the same seat for five years i went back to the same seat and someone actually tapped me and was like oh are you the new girl and i was like really and so it's just been and this is what i say about the invisibility and you know what thank god the industry is not as bad as it was but these things still sort of eat away at you so when i say the personal trauma it it eroded my confidence in who I was. I wasn't, I became, I told myself I wasn't good enough. I just wasn't as good as my white counterparts. When I was going for interviews and I was getting through the first stage, not getting past the second stage or getting second stage, not getting past, I was like, it's because I'm not good enough. It's because I don't don't have the vocabulary, the knowledge, the thought, like there were all these reasons why I wasn't enough for these roles. And I'm not going to place everything down to like gender, but yeah, there was a lot of professional and personal trauma involved for me that just meant I struggled um, and it's taken a lot of acceptance and I'm still dealing with it now really. But yeah, I've learned to to, um, come out the other side and not care as much.
1: I think, I think a lot of the things you're saying are really recognisable to all women and particularly black women people of color everywhere and know the story you're talking about i remember actually when i was when i was younger i used to be sent out to buy um and not at my current employer um for whom we're doing this podcast just going to say that you're you're not guilty guys but i used to be sent out to buy like the porn gifts for the sales team when they left they used to guess your bra size when you went out for kind of like drinks with the company and all that stuff was so normalized that you feel. And I think if you also have the element on top of that, that intersectionality where also the fact you're black makes an impact to how people treat you. And I think it's interesting you mentioned that idea that sort of like you can be involved in the fun social stuff, but when it comes to professional things, somehow it's different or being invisible in a way that i don't know it makes me feel really angry and upset and i don't want to i don't want to cry through every episode of this podcast i'm recording although i probably will but it makes you really angry because you think to yourself how many people get lost because they're invisible to people and you lost their talents their ideas and everything that particularly a creative industry is supposed to be about do you think, what would you say to people today who still feel the same way? Because I think some of the, some things which were more extreme, say 20 years ago, but there's still a lot of the base issues there. Is there a piece of advice you found worked for you, made things better?
2: I think in all things, it's really important. I, I talk to a lot of people about um, building your board of trustees. Like you, you almost have to treat work like you are a CEO you are a ceo of your own company and you need like any good company you need to build a board that board will be a mixture of friends families professionals but they will get you through those moments you know mentoring sponsorships have somebody because actually in those moments you really do have to work out how am i going to deal with this and, and 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 we've come to a point in society where everything i mentioned previously happens in some way not the same sort of things you may not have been sent out to the porn shops but there are other ways that those things we, you know there are women and there are probably young guys in the industry who have been sent out to buy slightly inappropriate things that people don't think there's anything wrong with it it is still happening we now enable the microaggressions and in those moments you really need to work out how you're going to show up for yourself and i think that's my that's my um i suppose piece of advice what i've learned to do is be my own cheerleader. And when I say be my own cheerleader, I really have to think, how am I showing up for myself in this moment? And that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to go on the attack and go on the defensive, but it might mean me saying, I don't feel very comfortable with this moment. It might sometimes be me being like, actually, do you know what? I'm not going to say a word in this moment, but what I am going to do is send an email. But in those moments, the two bits of advice would be, Think about how you want to show up in that moment. You know, wh- what what does that look like for you? Is it, you know, an instant reaction or is it just walking away or is it doing not doing anything and going to tell someone superior? um, And then actually having a network, having somebody that when those moments do happen, you can pick up the phone and be like, I just need to talk to you about this because I don't know how to deal with it. Did I do the right thing? I think those are the ways that you get through it definitely it's something that's worked for me I think understanding and again I talk a lot about values but understanding who I am at work who who, what are my values so for me integrity is really important loyalty honesty you know is really important so when something happens I'm like no this fairness is another one when something happens and if in my heart I'm like this is not fair I can't put up with this I will speak out because at the heart of me, my value is fairness. And so I know this won't sit comfortably with me, even if I leave it. And I think that's really important. You do really need to do some work around who are you so that when moments like that happen, you know how you're showing
1: up. And you mentioned the network there, building your own board, which I think is a great way to put it. And I I think that network is so important, particularly for women and particularly actually kind of a cloth, across the class spectrum, across kind of different, having also having a diverse network of different people. One of the things I remember, actually, this wasn't that long ago, five years ago, maybe I was sitting at an awards do and everyone around the table was talking about like what schools their kids went to. And I was thinking, God, you all live in the same area of London. This is so weird. How do you all know the same people? And I was like, oh, do you all live? Near each other, and they were like, No, it's the private school networks. We all know, like, we're all part of the same private school network. And you know, something that I was at, I honestly didn't even really know that existed because my own children happened to go to like the school in the next street. And you know, something that you just go, Oh, wow, there's a whole world I didn't know existed. And it must be pretty normal because everyone at this industry event, apart from me, I'm sitting with, is part of this network. And it made me think a lot. One of the reasons we started Future is Female is how can you create a network of women who just, you know, lift each other up a bit, put each other forward for things. Great, you've met this woman now. Maybe she'll be the right person for a job in future. Because actually you realize you can never have enough of those.
2: Absolutely. And it's again that speaks to the reason why I set up um Join Our Table. You know, there is something about the collective power of Sisterhood, but of the collective power of humanity. And I think we forget that a lot of the times, you know, we are better together as people. Um, And I think that is why, you know, for me, that network. And actually, even when I mentor really young people at 13, I talk to them about be your, be a CEO and any good business has a network and build it even at 13. And that could be your mom, your auntie, your teacher. Everybody can have a, a network of people that they can access for different things. And that network should be really diverse, men, women, all diversities, disabilities. If you can, not always, but you know, you there is something around you are the people that you hang around with. And I think you really need to, you know, and especially when I mentor young people who are going through issues around social mobility, and you might think, actually, I don't have access to those people, but I'm not okay. Then they, they're maybe not in your sphere of influence. But by God, you can find them on LinkedIn. You can reach out. And if you found me, you can find others, you know. So and again, I I talk to young people about networking, you know, networking with a big N and a a big N and a small N. So building your network can look like lots of different things to different people. But what it's about fundamentally is having a range of people that you can lean on who can help guide you through moments in your life, professional moments in your life, who you can tap up for advice, who can advocate for you. And that's why we created Join Our Table. It was really about the amplification and the collective sisterhood around Black women because, you know, in society, again, you know, we were seen as Black women that our voices weren't being heard. And it was like, actually... You know, why why wait? Why wait for someone to give us our flowers? Let's do this for ourselves and actually let's give other black women their flowers. Let's it because I think in society there's lots of great work being done, but it's what's happening is it's in these tiny pockets. And um someone described it to me as these tiny little pockets, so there's loads of little dots on a wall, but they flipped the chart over and joined all the dots up to make a massive big spider web. You know, and as we know with spider webs, as thin as they are, they're extremely strong. And that analogy stands in life. You know and I think it is that network you are stronger when you have a network of people that can advocate and support for you support you. So I'm a huge, huge fan of building a network. I've got lots of people in my network. I've got lots of people in my friendship groups that are, you know, useful for a day, a week, six months, but everyone's got a role to play. You know, we don't do these things on our own.
1: Completely. And I think one of the great things that I've learned to your point about your values and who you are as a person. I actually learned he's a man, we'll forgive him. Matt Schechner, who founded Advertising Week, one of the things I noticed when I met him was how he builds his network is just staying in touch with people and dropping them an email to say, you know, all right. Or he used to text me all the time before I worked here, just like, you're right, Ace, what are you doing? Or tell me something funny that happened to him. And I used to think, what is this man doing with his life? But actually, he was just doing stuff. He used to connect me all the time with other people who I didn't know. And he would be like, Ruth, you should meet this person. We work with them. They're great. I think you guys would get on. He still does it now. And I was like, why is this guy so generous with his network? And you know what? One of the things I learned is he he said to me, but the thing is, he was like, what what do you have to lose? He He was like, people were never sad that they met somebody great through you. And he was that, like, and if you can lose somebody's business by introducing them to someone else, well, it, you weren't doing a very good job anyway. And it made me really think about that idea of like, what are your values and who do you want to be? And if you can be that person who connects other people and makes the networks, that's actually almost more powerful than anything else. So before we finish up, I wanted to ask one big question that um, women I know always talk about is how valuable is like mentoring and coaching compared to sponsorship. So some people I know really feel strongly that mentoring and coaching is a great way forward. And others say, do you know what? I feel like if you're not prepared to sponsor me and put your money where your mouth is in an organization, I just don't get as much out of it. What's your view on that?
2: Oh, really interesting um I actually had this conversation the other day so my view is all three of them sit on the same continuum line you start off with mentoring you know that is about what your experience I'm learning from your experience coaching is about an understanding that you have the answers and I can trans you know I, I as a coach I'll work with you to transform to reach your goals we'll, we'll create plans together but sponsorship is really about the advocacy piece because I can get mentored I get myself to that that next level I can get coached so I can you know put in the right behaviors I can put a plan together but what I can't do or I can get so far but what sponsoring a sponsorship allows me to do is then really to get someone to advocate for me and say you need her in this room but really honest I have not had anyone sponsor me like my whole career This is another reason why I do the things I do, because no one has ever sponsored me. No one's ever, you know, in our industry, people go to Cannes. No one's ever paid for me. No one's ever said to me, have the experience, Jerry. I'm going to pay for you to go to Cannes so you can do a thought lead. Like no one's ever sponsored me. So now I spend my life trying to be, as we said, in the network, that connector for other people um, and trying to advocate for them in spaces where they're not. But I actually think all three coexist. I actually think a good personal development and learning and development is to try and work through a mentoring program, a coaching program, and then find someone to sponsor you, especially when you're thinking about in a company. If you're thinking about I'm in a company and I want to get to this position, sponsorship is definitely the final piece. But that what supports all of that is your network. So I think, again, as I said, it all sits on the same continuum, underneath it is a network but it starts with mentoring and goes right up to sponsorship and I think you, you it's hard when you don't have all three and I, I'm not saying you can't do it but you know I look at myself and just as we wrap, wrap up I would say you maybe again one of the reasons why I've now gone down the entrepreneurial route because i never had the sponsorship I never had the sponsorship to take me any higher than where I'm at now and so I was like well sod it now I'm gonna do what I'm leaning into my values. And maybe with, if I've had that sponsorship, I would be on a completely different journey. But the great thing is I've had a network and now I'm using my network to now sponsor other women. So paying it forward.
1: I think that's a great place to end because I think earlier in this podcast episode, you said, hey, I felt invisible. And I think one of the great things knowing you is I think you're one of the least invisible people I've ever met. I'm like, how do you have enough hours in the day? was it Kim Kardashian who said like, we all have the same 24 hours, but I'm like, I think, I think maybe you don't have the same 24 hours. I seem to spend a lot faffing and kind of, you know, playing mobile games. And now I'm thinking maybe I'll advance myself. My thing is I don't watch TV anymore. I generally don't watch TV. That something had to go and it was the television. I'm not sure I can commit to this, even for like feminism. But look, Jerry, thank you so much for joining us here today on the Future is Female podcast. Thank you for sharing some of the things you went through, which and I think some of these personal things are quite hard to talk about. But thank you for sharing it, because I know it makes such a massive difference to other women like me when you hear them and you can relate to them. And it makes you have more confidence about the steps you can take next in your career. So thank you so much.
2: I just want to say thank you because two years ago I started on this journey of leaning into myself, and you were the first award I won. And I remember crying at home with my with well, my now I'm going to get upset. I remember crying at home with my son and my um my husband. And two years later, I'm in this space. So that that wouldn't have happened. You were at the start of a real journey for me. So I just want to say thank you for recognizing the work that I'm doing. Thank you for having me back to tell my story because. Regardless of all the things I do, sometimes I still feel very unseen. So actually to to have this platform, to be able to tell people that I'm still here and I'm still fighting um, is amazing. So thank you so much. Okay, to more
1: visibility from here out. Thank you so much, Terry.
2: Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a colleague and leaving us a review on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you again in the next episode.